Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. I want to take a moment before we start off and thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad. They are the home of the purpose-driven PMO. The PMO Squad assists clients with PMO as a service, project management training, and of course, experienced project managers to lead your key strategic initiatives. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about their purpose-driven PMO and all of their project management solutions. Also want to take a moment now to uh, acknowledge yesterday, uh, this earlier this week rather, Eric Wright and I had an opportunity to head to New York City and work with IIL, the International Institute for Learning. And we taped a segment for International Project Management Day which will be coming up on November 7th. Eric and I talked about the power of mentoring and our nonprofit organization, VPMMA, the Veteran Project Manager Mentoring Alliance. So I want to say thank you to uh, Laverne Johnson, Judy Umless, and uh, the great crew that filmed the, that with us. And uh, encourage everybody on November 7th to sign up and register for the IIL online conference to celebrate International Project Management Day. And as a special treat, the great partnership we have with IIL, if you are a service member, veteran, or spouse of a service member, IIL is offering that conference for free. Use special code VPMMA when you register. And again, that will be a free online conference for you. So thank you to them. Also, uh, lastly, want to mention locally here in Phoenix, we have the inaugural Project Managers Golf Tournament coming up on September 27th. That's being uh, run by the local Phoenix PMI chapter, along with VPMMA and U.S. Vets. They are having that as a foursome scramble where we're going to pair two civilians with two service members. Uh, for a morning of golf at Falcons Dune Golf Club out on Luke Air Force Base. There's limited tickets remaining, so please be sure that you go out to uh, the Phoenix PMI website, which is phx-pmi.org. Find the event there and register. After the event, uh, Eric Wright and I will be there speaking uh, afterwards. So a great opportunity to hear from Eric and I about VPMMA, uh, a great opportunity to give back for those in the business community, and of course, a great opportunity for project managers to network and get out on the golf course and just have some fun and get away from the office and do it for a good cause. So we encourage everybody to go out and register for that event. And now we'll get into the show today. We are super excited to have with us Andy Jordan and Ray Reagan. Welcome both you guys to the show today. Hey, Joe. How are you? Let's uh, start with Andy. Uh, Andy's calling in from Honduras on the top of a mountain overlooking the ocean. So uh, I'm a bit (laughs) jealous of him at the current time as it's about 113 degrees here in the desert. Uh, But Andy, if you can take a moment to say hello and introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you, Joe, and uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, really excited to be here, uh, especially with uh, with Ray as well. Um, yes, I am on the beautiful island of Roatan in Honduras, and uh, all of a sudden I seem to be surrounded by every dog on the island, so uh, we're, we're working to keep them quiet, but... Uh, um, I have a background that is longer than I'm prepared to admit in uh, in project management, uh, portfolio management, and in particular PMOs. Um, as most of you can probably tell, I grew up a little bit east of Honduras in the States. Uh, I was born and raised in the UK. Uh, I also spent 20 years in Canada, um, and uh, and now this is sort of semi-retirement, although it seems to be more semi than retirement most days. I have led PMOs, built PMOs, tore down PMOs and rebuilt them in uh, in multiple industries, 
um, from corporate education to government to finance to software development uh, and quite a few different industries in between um, and really focused on trying to make sure that the PMOs are actually sort of delivering business value for their employers. I see a PMO as, uh, as no different to any other organization within a, a company. You know, it's a department. It's like marketing or sales or engineering or anything like or anything else has to achieve its business goals otherwise it doesn't succeed and excited to be uh, talking a little bit about that uh, with you and Ray today. That's awesome thank you so much Andy I really appreciate it it's great to have uh, somebody with your background and experience on the show and I know our listeners are in for a treat today uh, with your input and also Ray thank you Ray for joining us Ray Reagan uh, I've got the great fortune to work with Ray directly as well as he is a board member for VP MMA in addition to his distinguished career uh, in the military and, of course, leading a PMO in the Tucson area as well. So welcome, Ray. And if you don't mind, please introducing yourself and share with a little bit about you with our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And I can see why, you know, you were excited about having Andy and I on together. Um, at, you know, as you mentioned before, um, my my background is uh, not only military, uh, but also software and, and systems engineering. Uh, I moved over into the project management space deliberately about 10 years ago. And um, since then, I've, I've been able to uh, grow and, and really uh, expand my expertise. And let, it's, it's about three years ago, uh, I left FinTech and joined a credit union. And I've really been focusing on improving uh, the practice of project management uh, particularly in the credit union space, formed a PMO within my credit union here in Tucson. And uh, you know, I, when when you do the when you actually look at the the data, and you know, Andy, you hit it right on the head. Uh, every PMO should be delivering value, and that's how you know if a PMO is successful. Is if you can look at it and and say see the difference between what the delivery percentage was before. And after, and if you can see a double-digit increase, you know you're doing an excellent job. And I'd like to say we did a triple-digit increase, and I'm still very proud of that. That's awesome, Ray. Congratulations on that. And we're going to dig into a little bit more as we go through the show about the steps you actually took in uh, establishing the PMO there. But, Andy, I want to kind of keep that conversation going a little bit on the business function, the PMO as a business function. How If, if someone's a new... PMO leader out there, or they've taken over a PMO, maybe that's struggling. What advice do you have to make it be like a business function? It's not typically that that way, unfortunately, when we step into them. No, PMOs tend to focus a lot on on what they do and not why they do it or why they exist. Uh, and that results in them spending a lot of time focused on what I like to think of as down and in. So they spend a lot of time looking at projects and looking at the project managers and the project teams and trying to improve the way work gets done there. So the focus becomes governance and sitting on the steering committees and generating reports and seeing how many different projects you can get on a single letter size piece of paper to, to consolidate the reporting. And that's not adding value to anybody. They need to focus more on up and out, up into the organization and out beyond the projects themselves and recognize that projects are really just an organizational investment. The executive, the sponsor didn't say yes to this project because they desperately wanted to complete some work on time, on scope and on budget and end up with a thing at the end of it. They approved the project because they wanted to gain some benefit from it either increasing sales, reducing costs, eliminating some risks, improving system stability, whatever it might be, there was a business purpose behind the investment in the project. And if the PMO exists to make sure that projects are more successful in broad generic terms, then that has to mean that they do a better job of actually achieving their business goals, that they actually help the organizations to gain that revenue or market share, eliminate that risk, reduce those costs, whatever it might be. It's really no more complicated than that. And if the PMO leader focuses on that, then they'll start adding real benefits to the work they do and projects will become more successful, which I'm sure is, is how Ray sort of uh, achieved his, uh, his triple digit improvements, which is very impressive. Yeah. And I guess yeah. if I play kind of devil's advocate for a second, just pretending I'm a listener, 
and say, if I'm the PMO leader, though, nobody trained me on how to run a business function. I was only trained on how to be a project manager. How, how do we help those PMO leaders make that shift if they've never been trained in that kind of organizational mindset? I think you're right. A lot of PMO leaders do end up there. And, and anyone listening to this who is responsible for appointing PMO leaders needs to understand that. I have said on many occasions, I can take a business leader with no project management experience and get them ready to lead a PMO within a month. But I might not be able to take a project manager with no business experience and get them ready to leave a, lead a PMO if you gave me a year. They sometimes don't have the right skills, um, which isn't to say they can't do it. It means they have to have an understanding of the business. Project managers these days are starting to get that uh, understanding better. They're starting to be recognition that projects have to achieve those business goals to succeed. And so PMs are, are becoming involved in that. But if you haven't had a chance as a project manager to really become part of the business, then before you start thinking about a project management office role or as soon as you know you're going to be appointed to that role, start reaching out to your business colleagues and start understanding what it is that makes the organization tick. You can't do that by just reading stuff on Google, you have to understand your organization. Yes, there's industry stuff. Yes, there's general business stuff that will help. But you really have to understand what are the levers, what are the drivers of your organization that makes it successful? What's the focus? Are you a niche player or are you a mainstream player? Are you the value or the quality player in the market? Who are your competitors? Who are your suppliers? Where are your opportunities? Where are your threats? If you understand that macro level organizational piece, then you can start applying those concepts concepts to the projects and improve the focus, improve the alignment between those projects and the business goals. It's not easy, but it's absolutely critical for success. And you have to be proactive about it as a PMO leader. You know, Andy, um, you made that observation about taking a business leader and training him or her up in a month to run a PMO. And it's not always so certain whether or not you can do that with a project manager. I, I find that to be very insightful. And, you know, my, my recommendation to any PMO leader coming in, uh, in addition to what you already suggested, is really understand the strategy. And mm -hmm. I've oftentimes looked at a PMO as the executing arm of strategy. And that's where uh, I feel as though uh, I've been successful, is uh, I've seen a lot of organizations, not only in the credit union space, but even broader, just in general business, that they'll go and they'll develop a strategy and everyone will walk out of that room and say, yes, this is what we're going to do for the next three to five years. And then nobody really knows how to execute it. And I, I, I found that that's kind of the sweet spot for a project management office to, to take that strategy, look at what the sponsors have nominated as projects, initiatives, and really de decompose that into action and into outcomes and deliverables. Um, and, you know, it's interesting you mentioned about how oftentimes PMOs will become more about governance than delivery. And I, I think that's really the sweet spot. If a PMO is focused on delivery, focused on unlocking that future value, focused on being the change agent to ensure that the business stays uh, competitive and maybe even leading their competition in the market space, a PMO is going to be very healthy for a very long time. Absolutely. Could not agree more. I think that it, organizations are recognizing that the ability to execute on strategy is something that they're not necessarily very good at, or certainly not as good as they thought they were at. Uh, I do a lot of work with organizations at the portfolio management level, and we saw that in, in generation one portfolio management is that it just became a bolt on to planning and became a, a retroactive rearview mirror looking process, which wasn't working. So as organizations are recreating that around a PMO function, a lot of them are actually sort of positioning that EPMO or strategic PMO mm -hmm. as reporting to a chief strategy officer specifically right. because of that, that they want to focus on execution on the strategy. And I find that if you don't take that deliberate alignment with strategy, oftentimes PMOs will just naturally uh, kind of devolve into that governance. And then eventually what happens is, you know, you have department leaders and, and leaders in the organization saying, well, my stuff's not getting done. So well, let's let's start putting project managers in the department. Well, unfortunately, that's a symptom of an unhealthy translation and execution of the strategy. When that happens, it, it's because the business feels as though they're not getting good value out of the PMO, and consequently, it it 
it eventually gets to the point where the PMO will will dissolve. And you know, Andy, I, I'm and, and for this matter, Joe, I'm, I'm I'm sure both of you have seen a PMO dissolve and 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 fail. And it's been my experience; it's because it's not delivering that strategic value. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, and you know what it's like. If, if you're not achieving value, you're becoming a cost center and, and organizations are looking to eliminate costs wherever they can, as soon as they can. And the PMO is is an easy, easy candidate if it's not perceived as, as delivering benefits to the organization. I think to be fair to some PMO leaders, the guidance that they're receiving from their executive team or from the leadership's team has been lacking severely in the past. They haven't been told um, how they are expected to deliver value. They haven't been given annual goals and objectives that they can deliver uh, or develop a a business plan against. But that doesn't let the PMO leadership off the hook because if they find themselves with a lack of clarity over their purpose, then they need to go to the people they report to and say, hey, how do I succeed here? What do you need me to do? How do I deliver value to the organization? They'll have ideas, but they need to get those uh, ideas signed off and approved by their leadership. You know, I, I wholeheartedly, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say that I always try to take these uh, complex project management terms and discussions and boil it down into something simple to make sure that we can all visualize the same thing. And this discussion reminds me on the purpose-driven PMO, how we say everything is a sale and a delivery. And if we compare this to stepping into a pizza parlor and asking for a slice of pizza, paying them the money for the pizza, and then never receiving the pizza, you didn't get value, right? You you got the purchase and didn't receive value. And in the PMO, somebody approved that project. The sale was completed. It's now up to the PMO team to deliver the pizza to the person who made the purchase. And we as PMOs, historically, right, if you look at the, the different metrics, are about 50% pass-fail on that. And organizations, to, to the point both of you are making, just find that unacceptable because they're, who would want to go into a restaurant and only 50% of the time get your pizza? Right? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So this is where the, the black eye comes for the PMO within the industry. And I love how you guys are comparing this or bringing it back to business value, strategy, execution, and delivery, right? That, that's really where the value comes from a PMO. Yeah. And Ray, kind of t- taking the discussion a step further, you mentioned at the beginning the great success you've had at Vantage West with the PMO you've implemented what are some of the lessons learned that you can share with everybody of how you got those results, right? Rather than uh, just mentioning, obviously, what we should do, what did you do that allowed right. us to get that? And, and how can we then take that experience back and help our own PMOs? So, um, you know, Andy and I already talked about the key, which was um, getting aligned with strategy and really looking at the PMO as the execution arm of that strategy. Uh, I happen to be very lucky in that we had some really talented project managers already on staff, but they were aligned with departments. And what's interesting, and I've seen this elsewhere, is that um, if project managers are aligned with departments, um, you'll eventually find that they're doing an awful lot of things that are not project management. And, I, you know, it's a natural, I, I think it's a natural uh, evolution that, you know, most project managers are very organized. They're very good at communication. They're very good at uh, uh, ensuring something gets done. And so if you have those departmental project managers, oftentimes those department leaders will start to task them with operations and some other uh, non-project management related activities. And so, you know, I, I came in and I looked at it and I, and I realized that a lot of our project managers, and they were very talented, were doing things that were not project management. And let's let's take a step back about project management. So what is project management? And I think you, you've already talked about this a little bit, Joe. It, it's about delivery, right? That's what project management's about. It's not about the PMBOK. It's not about ensuring that we adhere to a rigorous methodology. It's about delivering. And so by bringing those project managers in with the consent of the business into a project management office that was aligned with strategy, Establish some best practices and some uh, uh, some standards. That was what allowed us to be so successful. 
And it, it's something that I get really excited about. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I want to scream it to the roof uh, from the rooftops because, you know, yes, this is applicable in the credit union space, but I think it's applicable uh, really to a lot of organizations. They'll, they'll say, yeah, we have project managers and yeah, they, they, they deliver, but I, I think they're missing the real value here. And that goes back to what Andy and I were talking about, you know, with, Having a PMO that's aligned with strategy, it's focused on execution, and and focused on unlocking that future value. That's the success. I imagine, Ray, that your uh, your project managers that you moved into the PMO there very quickly sort of embraced that idea and saw the benefit for them and saw how much easier their work became. I suspect that you make that observation based on your own observations, and and yes, I mean that. How, how wonderful is it to be a project manager? And just be focused on delivering excellence. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that that that's what we're born born to do. I mean, we're all alpha personalities, and we're just we're just focused on delivering. And to be able to stay focused on that and and unlock that new business value um, on a serial endeavor is is it's very fulfilling. You know, we've been talking a little bit here about what helps make PMO successful and sometimes viewing it from the reverse lens helps under, you know, leaders understand maybe what they're doing wrong. So Andy, you know, what are some of those things that you see consistently for people who are failing in their PMOs and with project management and organization? So if you're a listener and and some of these ring a bell saying, hey, we do that, maybe it's a it's an uh-oh moment of something that needs to be corrected. I think that in a generic term, I would say that too many PMOs are focused on administration. They're too much concerned about what has already happened. Um, so the whole reporting and compliance type stuff. Um, and also too much focused on stuff that these days can be automated through the right kind of project management software. Uh, If you have a leadership team that doesn't know how to take advantage of a project portfolio management solution, like a full enterprise integrated uh, PM solution, um, or they don't want to spend the money on it, then it's easy to say, oh, well, look, you're the PMO, you kind of look after projects, you figure it out. So they end up sort of, yes, doing governance and yes, doing compliance stuff and, and yes, doing all the consolidated reporting and maybe get involved in estimating and maybe even doing some stuff about resource utilization that sounds also as if it's sort of strategic, but really isn't at the level that they're doing it. And they don't focus on how much money is actually being spent on something that is not making a one iota's bit of difference to whether or not the return on the project investment is increasing or improving, whether or not the strategy is being executed to to raise point. It's just spending money for peace of mind. It's almost that we don't really care whether this is accurate or not. We just need it to be precise. So we need to know exactly what percentage we're claiming to be complete on this project. We need to know to a tenth of a percent, you know, what our resource utilization is. And and the number could be completely wrong because we don't have the right level of insight. But if we can do it to enough decimal places, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. And, And I know it's a cynical view, but that's where so many PMOs spend their time and effort. Yeah, wasted energy and and time, money, people uh, can be the downfall of any department, right? And I, and I think the right. key is to think we are just like the rest of the organization. If we're not yeah. providing value, then we're going to be out. And as a cost center, that's where they look first. Yeah, I mean, you can't, can you imagine if if a sales team sort of wasn't responsible for delivering an X percentage increase, but just had to tell you how many sales calls they had, what the average time on a call was, you know, whatever it might be. That That's interesting. And yes, it's part of management, but it's not driving value. It's about, did you sell more than last year? Did you retain customers? Did you move more units? Whatever it might be. We're no different in PMOs. We have to be measured against business goals, which means we have to work to achieve success in those areas. You know, taking that a step further, my challenge now to organizations is we reward those sales teams when they hit those sales objectives to bring in Mm -hmm. additional revenue. We rarely, if ever, acknowledge the delivery team, the execution team for the delivery of what was purchased, right? It's so 
how do we then recognize and reward the team members that make the sale come to life through execution and delivery? So organizations, if you're out there, teams that deliver would love to get a seat on that president's trip to the Caribbean island because they helped make that revenue get realized. And it was more than just the sale, right? You have to be able to deliver. Yep, I, 100%. And I would say that before we can even get to that point, um, although by all means, send us on the trip, um, <laughs> we need to do a better job organizationally at identifying what some of those benefits are. Um, revenue, in theory, should be an easy one because you can see what your revenue was before. You look at your revenue afterwards and say, hey, look, everything's magic. But there's a lot of complications to that and not everything is as, as simple and objective to measure as that. But I've never found a sponsor or a business unit owner who had difficulty making a claim of what the benefits would be when it came to the business case, when it came to getting the project approved. But when you try and hold them accountable for actually achieving that benefit after the fact, well, then there's a lot of tap dancing that goes on. And and I think organizations need to get better at that piece before they can start uh, rewarding anybody for achieving success. Yeah, I 100% agree with that kind of taking a bit of a left turn here, going away from how project management offices provide value, but staying within the space. You know, Ray, you have a a different perspective, certainly than I have and many have, in that you come from a military background. How how does that play into what you do within the PMO space? So it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, I go between both the civilian space and the military space. And the military space, we have a layer between strategy and tactics, and it's called the operational space. And if you go and talk to businesses, you know, they'll talk about strategy, they'll talk about tactics, but they don't talk about the operational space. And in the military, we, we take strategy and we decompose that strategy into operations in that through what we call the operational art and operational science. And I feel that that's really what a PMO is doing. Now, if a successful PMO is doing that well, then you're going to see a lot of that strategy translated into uh, realized deliverables. And it, it just it, it's interesting you bring that up, Joe, just because I, I've come into many, many, many corporate environments and no one talks about this operational space like we do in the military. And I always puzzle on why is why is this this space missing? And then I realize that's what a PMO is supposed to do. Well, another thing I think, again, from my observations about the military, because I didn't serve, so thanks to those who have, is they the empowerment of the members within the military to achieve the strategy once it's been the set, right? And in many PMOs, we don't empower our project managers to execute mm-hmm. on the delivery. So is that, am I seeing correctly? Am I observing correctly? Is there a sense of empowerment that we can translate from what we're doing in the military and bring that into PMOs? You know, it's interesting watching the business writing over the last, I don't know, five years. And you'll find like, for instance, the book, The Phoenix Project, right? The hero in that um, is coming from a military background. And I, I think a lot of it comes from this concept in the military of mission ownership. It's not enough to try. It's, it only counts if you deliver. If you, it only counts if the mission is completed. And then if you get into some of the other books, like uh, General McChrystal's Team of Teams, you know, he talks about how he's empowered his teams, how he's decentralized um, decision-making. and organizations that are comfortable enough with themselves and confident enough with themselves will find that easy to do to empower those project teams to ensure that they are getting all the resources they need to be successful. If they don't, you know, Andy, Joe, both, we we all know what happens when those project teams are not empowered, when they're not resourced, when every decision has to be second-guessed it it almost invariably leads to project failure. We yep. need to empower those teams. Go ahead, Andy. 
Yeah, we, I absolutely agree. I, I don't have military experience either, so I can't speak to the specifics there. But the one observation I have in, in the corporate world at the moment is that there are way more business leaders talking about their empowered teams than there are teams who feel empowered. Um, there's a lot of sort of lip service to the idea that we have to empower our teams because the rate of change in most industries is such now that there isn't time for formal change control. We have to allow project managers to make decisions and, and ask for forgiveness instead of permission, if you like. Uh, and that's a great concept. And all leadership is, is buying into that idea of becoming um, a more proactive, faster pivoting organization when, when circumstances change. But if you talk to the project managers and the teams who are supposedly operating in that environment, they'll talk to being second-guessed or being criticised when they did make a decision if it turns out wrong. And I think we need to overcome that, which I'm guessing is something that that is less of an issue in a military environment because you're just, from the outset, you make a decision and you have to execute on that as, as vigorously as you can to have any chance of success. Well, I'd like to say that that's true, but uh, unfortunately, in the military space, we do get second-guessed. Um, but it, 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 it is unique in that, you know, when a decision or a mission is, is passed down uh, to a commander or a team, um, you know, there's not a lot of second-guessing at the time of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kind of look at what's happening in the project management space with the advent of Agile and, and the broader adoption of Agile, you're seeing a need to diffuse that ability to uh, have decentralized decision-making in a way that we've never had before. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think you'll find that that actually is a better model uh, compared to uh, the military space is when you actually start looking at it through the lens of um, delivery through agile methodologies. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that's a topic for another day, but those are the similarities that I'm seeing, at least uh, walking between both those worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that mainstream um, agile, if we can call it that now, as, as it's moving beyond software development and, and IT into uh, so many other business areas and moving up the organization is only going to help that process. They just I think there's still a little more resistance than I would like to see in some areas. Yeah, I'm right. I'm often intrigued when I hear executives talk about their most important asset being their people, yet they put restrictions on those people to go deliver what their what their intentions are. Mm-hmm. And gate reviews uh, and other steering committee type reviews, while certainly there should be some form of governance in an organization, I compare it to the sales cycle and when was the last time an executive scolded a, a salesperson for mo- not making an update to a CRM system, but still closed the million dollar deal, right? Where in the PMO space, we struggle with, you must update your checklist to ensure that you did what you need to do before you go deliver. And I think we have to get that mindset shift within organizations that we are delivery teams and that we can get things done without it being a true governance run organization. Yep, agreed. And and let's be honest, that million-dollar sale that the salesman closed was a project. It wasn't treated that way. Nobody considered it as a project. But you don't close a million-dollar sale without a bunch of people working together to execute on a plan. I 100% agree. And, and all right, So we've talked a little bit about what works for PMOs. We talked a little bit about what doesn't work for PMOs, connection to the military, what what about the future, Andy? What is what if you have your crystal ball out, right, and you're shining it up and you're looking into the future? What do PMOs look like, and how do we get there? Well, I think to consider what PMOs look like, we have to consider what projects look like, um, and I think we're entering a period of radical change in some areas. Everybody talks about digital transformation, and yes, I've seen the statistics that say, you know, we're going to spend, was it $2 trillion annually by 2022 on digital transformation and, you know, some scary amount of money like that. Uh, And it's an important part of what's happening to the world, but what's really happening as part of digital transformation is not about the digital part, it's about business transformation. It's about how business is having to change the way it operates 
in order to be an innovative, change-focused organization. You can only make so much money by cutting costs. You can only make so much money by selling the same product or service that everybody else has with one or two nuances. To really succeed in the future, you need to be able to innovate and you need to be able to innovate constantly because that's the speed of change that technology is now enabling. So we're going to see a major, major change in how projects get done. Software development, prime example, In some areas of software development, projects will no longer exist. We're going to go to the point where we have permanent teams and we're effectively having a permanent product that is just releasing a continuous delivery stream of functionality and improvements. We're not bundling it as a project just because we're just releasing it as soon as it's available. We're setting functionality out at the end of every sprint or in the middle of sprints even. That's a fundamental change that's going to happen and it's going to impact on every part of the organization, including PMOs. That's only one example and it's a niche play, but we're going to see similar kinds of change happening in in a lot of areas of project delivery. For PMOs, they truly do have to become more empowering, more autonomous to be able to create an environment where project teams can deliver change, where they can be true owners of uh, business success during the development piece before handing over to the customer representative at the end. They're going to become even more critically aligned with the strategy piece, with the execution on strategy that that Ray spoke about. And as organizations become more short-term focused in terms of the work they do, as planning becomes quarterly and monthly as uh, as adaptive adjustments become a part of how organizations operate, that long-term strategy, that long-term vision becomes all the more important because we can't become so focused on the work we're doing today that we lose sight of what it is that will make us successful in three years or five years or 10 years or whatever it might be. So I think that the role of the PMO is going to become much more diversified in terms of managing the work and in terms of of how work gets delivered and, and business benefits are achieved. But it's going to become even more critical to the strategic side of the organization and the way that strategy is converted into real business goals and achievements. And the way we connect the goals and objectives with the attainment of those goals and objectives is going to become the one major factor that PMOs uh, are focused on. I'm really upbeat about the future. I'm really uh, excited about what's going to happen. You know, I love that. And as you're speaking, I, I often try to draw parallels between uh, professional sports, business, and PMOs. I know strange common bedfellows there, but it's, it's, it helps me with the visualization for folks who maybe aren't experts like we are, but they, they are involved. And if we think of sports teams in the future, how they've evolved, uh, Major League Baseball, for instance, they now have specialist roles that come in and the starting pitcher doesn't go nine innings anymore. They come in and they make it five or six innings, and then there's a middle reliever, and then there's a closer. When a batter comes up, they look at the data, and they shift the players to position them where the batter hits it. They don't just stay in the position they've always played historically. When we talk future, I'm thinking the same thing for PMOs. No longer is the project manager going to be the sole person that works and leads the project. We're going to get a scheduler. We're going to get somebody that can present best. We're going to get somebody that can be the closer and come and do retrospectives and be and do lessons learned so that we can benefit across projects. Have you seen anything out there in your interactions, Andy, that leads you to maybe more specialized roles within the project management space? Yeah, I think so, because work's becoming more specialized and more diversified as well. And and organizations can't afford to maintain multiple instances of of subject matter experts in some of these roles. So we're going to have a lot of situations where we have single points of expertise, where there's a potential for bottlenecks unless we leverage those specialist functions. So we're going to have not every role, but a lot of those specialists, the closer, the middle reliever, the starting pitcher, whatever it is, that are going to be moving across projects. They're not going to be stable project teams. They're going to take their services to where they're needed at any given point in time. And that's going to have to be managed by the PMO. At the same time, we're going to have people on the project team who are fairly stable. There's going to still be a second baseman, a third baseman, a center fielder who are are going to be involved in the project pretty much from start to finish. 
but they can only succeed in their roles because of those specialists being brought in as well. And a lot of that is going to be driven by organizational data, not just project data, but the integration of project and portfolio level data with everything else that's happening in the organization and, and beyond. You know, I, I love the descriptions you gave of the, the major league players and the positions on the team. And it makes me think back to Ray, you and I had a good fortune to attend a Diamondbacks game together a few months back. Uh, and a lot of the conversation we were chatting about was positioning of the players, et cetera, during the game. And we got together because that was the uh, the kind of the kickoff or the founding for VPMMA. And again, to, I think it's important that we talk about mentoring within the project space. I think it's important that we talk about military members. And I think it's obviously important that we talk about how we've brought them together. Can you take a few minutes and, and share your experience with VPMMA and uh, your role on the board and a little bit about the organization as a whole? Sure. So the VPMMA, you know, as, as you shared, is really about providing that mentor and protege relationship between a veteran service member or military spouse with someone that's already in the profession. And what, when I say that, uh, you know, what I mean is, you know, we're, we're looking to pair them up with uh, folks that uh, really understand what it is to be a project manager and can help them navigate transition, navigate moving into project management as a career. And it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're taking that more broad approach of understanding that. Um, project management isn't isn't necessarily what we thought it was, you know, in the late '80s or in the '90s, and we're starting to understand project management really is about delivery, and it's helping those veteran service members and military spouses stay focused on delivery excellence and getting those certifications if need be, and being successful in making that transition into a gainful and productive employment. Uh, that that it's going to enrich in them and their families, most likely for their their entire lives. Um, as you know, Joe, um, you know I, I volunteered as a mentor with VPMMA before meeting with you and Eric, uh, and uh, uh, eventually joining the board as we're scaling this up as a fully fleshed out and and um, uh, scalable nonprofit uh, that that's able to handle uh, the needs of our veterans, service members, and military spouses across the nation. And uh, it's, you know, I I just think about when I left active duty um, and what services were there, you know, and there's there's a lot of services out there for veterans and, and service members, but there's none out there that helps them become project managers like this. And that's the reason why you, you got me hook, line, and sinker with this because um, this is a way for all project managers uh, to, I, I don't want to say repay, but um, um, you know, just uh, be able to contribute back to that, that military community. And it, it's been a great experience, and I, I can't wait to see where it grows in the next few years. And obviously, thanks for your time mentoring, your time on the board, and you know, to share a little bit of the story yesterday, uh, Eric and I were having breakfast before we headed to the airport and we had on our VP MMA shirts uh, sitting there enjoying breakfast and two, you know, I guess stereotypical New York City businessmen dressed to the nines in their suits, looking great, talking uh, too fast and slick back hair, if you can paint the picture here. <laughs> were sitting next to us and they noticed our shirts and asked if we were veterans. Of course, I acknowledged Eric for his service and, and not mine. Um, and they asked what VPMMA was. And, uh, you know, we shared their experience and what we're trying to accomplish. And they picked up our check, uh, said, thank you for what you're doing to try to help those service members. And, you know, it, it kind of left us stunned. We weren't wearing our shirts to try to draw that attention to try to get someone to buy us breakfast. But the message, I think, to everybody out there who's listening is through engagement, the unexpected happens. Be engaged and provide mentoring. Be engaged and volunteer your time to help the profession get better. Because when we bring in these service members, we will all get better. 
And as organizations out there, take time to go to www.thevpmma.org, learn more about what we're doing and find a way that you can either contribute financially or with people to help us expand and benefit these service members. So uh, I guess challenge to everyone listening to get engaged in their own way or within their organization to be able to help us expand this and help as many people as we can, both within the profession uh, and also service members. So that's our side track for a commercial about VPMMA. It's, uh, I think, an important topic. And Ray, thanks for, for everything you're doing to help us support that. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Back on point, you know, you've alluded to a couple times, Andy, uh, portfolio management as we've been talking. And I want to, I don't want to sidestep that. I want to bring it back to that because it is such an important part of a PMO and the link to strategy. Can you expand a little bit on what your thinking is with portfolio management? And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of portfolio management among organizations and, and they kind of like the idea, but they don't want to be disrupted too much. So we'll carry on planning the way that we've always planned and then we'll try and bolt portfolio management on top of it. And it becomes just a, another level of reporting and oversight and doesn't actually achieve any goals. My view on, on portfolio management is no different than portfolio management in the context that we all understand, which is that of investment portfolios. Um, virtually everybody listening to this is going to have some kind of investment portfolio if it's only a 401k or an RRSP in Canada or, or equivalent type of pension plan, or they're going to have something to help save for a child's education, or they're going to have some kind of savings plan for a big vacation coming up in a couple of years, whatever it might be. We understand the concept of an investment portfolio that has a number of stocks and bonds and cash holdings within it. And we care a little bit about those individual holdings, but we care a lot more about ensuring we actually get the return on the overall investment, that the portfolio as a whole generates 5%, 8%, 10%, whatever it might be each year that we expect to, to achieve. And if we don't achieve that, then we either have some tough conversations with the person who's managing it, or we have some tough conversations with ourselves, and we make adjustments. We dump those stocks that are underperforming, and we replace them with ones that we think are going to do better. And that's the way that organizations need to view their portfolio. The projects inside a portfolio are just investments. They're just a means to achieve a benefit, uh, to contribute to a strategic goal. If there comes a point where one particular project is no longer able to deliver, it needs to be cancelled and in the money needs to be diverted and invested in something else. And making sure we're making those decisions continuously and we're always keeping alignment between the work we're doing and the benefits that we need to achieve, both of which are going to be adjusted in real time, then that's effective portfolio management. If we're not doing that, we're wasting money. We're minimizing or we're reducing the amount of money that we can actually generate in terms of the return on the, the project investments. So that's the way I sort of view portfolio management. That's the way I think increasingly organizations are trying to, to take their portfolio management approaches. And I don't see how you can do any of that across an organization without having the PMO at the heart of it, without having the PMO drive those decisions forward. The portfolio manager needs to be so tightly integrated with the PMO to make any of this stuff happen that we may as well think of them as, uh, as parallel functions. So what you mentioned how organizations struggle with this today, and there's a huge change management component to make that shift into that executing model you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. How do they do that, right? Because there's so much already in place or entrenched with the way that they currently do it. This would be significant change. It's significant change. Fortunately, it's the kind of significant change that organizations are being forced to through concepts like organizational agility and, and the need to become um, more proactive, faster moving because of the, the way the world is moving, the way that competition is increasing, you know, et cetera. So it really starts with the top of the organization. We have to make sure that the top of the organization is setting appropriate goals and objectives and then adjusting them as they need to. That the planning that happens can still be annual planning from a financial standpoint. I get the fact that it's important to set annual capital and, and operational budgets from a financial standpoint. But then the actual project approval process has to be at least quarterly. And some organizations in some industries now are, are moving to more of a six-week or even a monthly uh, cycle. Uh, we have to make 
make sure that we're managing an active backlog uh, of projects so that as soon as resources become available from delivering one project, the next prioritized project becomes uh, started straight away and that, that backlog is being actively managed. Uh, it has to be driven by the top. Uh, and that's where the PMO and the portfolio management function comes in. The idea of, of planning by doing a whole bunch of business cases and saying, well, this has caused us some pain in the past. So let's sort of see if we can do something to fix that. That doesn't work anymore. We've got to get a lot more strategic. We've got to make sure that we're actually doing sort of high-level road mapping of how we're going to improve our uh, our organization and only doing that detailed planning when we're actually ready to do the work. So yes, it's fundamental change, but there is an appetite for it from leadership who recognize that they're not optimizing the return on their investments, that they're not uh, going to be able to keep their job for the next five to seven years in, unless they improve performance. And, uh, and there is an appetite now to really see portfolio management drive things forward, becoming portfolio-driven organizations effectively. You know, it's interesting, Andy, because you, you've talked around it and what you're what I, I really hear in there is, you know, it's about risk, right? Mm-hmm. Portfolio management is about managing enterprise risk. And if the organization is not looking at it like that, they're missing the point. Because when you see a portfolio mature and you see the revenue curve starting to plateau, that's, that's an indication that that is a mature portfolio that needs to be consumed by some new innovative offering. And I don't think a lot of organizations are looking at it like that uh, or, or really thinking about um, what portfolio management really means. And portfolio management, as to your point, means whether or not you're going to be able to stay employed or in business for five to seven years. Because if you keep riding the same portfolios at the same plateaued route or rate, your competition is going to come in and undercut you your market, and you're going to have nothing left. Absolutely. And organizations, as they mature, tend to de-risk. You start off young and hungry as a startup, and and you'll risk anything because it really doesn't matter as long as you know one of the gambles pays off. But then, as you start succeeding, you start sort of concentrating on those things that have been successful, uh, and your risk tolerance reduces, and your uh, your capacity to absorb risk reduces because you don't focus attention there. And sooner or later, you become that which you loathe to start with, you become that sort of, you know, mature, slow moving, conservative yeah. organization. And these days, there's a huge number of people lining up to eat your lunch if you do that. And it doesn't matter Absolutely. what industry you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I, I come from the school of thought that says that if you see that revenue curve plateau out on a portfolio, the team needs to develop a strategy on how to pivot and how to consume that business into something new. And, mm-hmm. and I just don't think organizations are thinking like that. And, and they see, you know, to, to Joe's point, they see it as a, as a bolt-on, as a way to organize these things. And, and they're not looking at it, you know, for, for what it really is, which is representing your enterprise risk. Yep. It's, you have to be risk tolerant. You have to be risk capable. You have to be able to drive innovation consistently if you're going to succeed in today's world, because that's what customers want. Look at, at any industry. The amount of change, the rate of change is so fundamentally fast that if you're not innovating, you're just falling behind and you can't innovate unless you're willing to take risk. Right. Well, I think that innovation needs to occur within the PM space as well, right? For mm-hmm. instance, we're talking about these portfolios as if we have the measures in place today to report those metrics as to why we make the decisions we make. And there's too many PMOs today out there that are measuring the number of red and green projects on scope, time, and budget only, right? So there's a we have to be able to put our teams and organizations in a position to capture data analyze the data and use that to make smart decisions. Yep. And they stop measuring before the stuff that really matters occurs, like achieving the value. <laughs> well, you know, this is uh, obviously I could talk all day long with you guys because you know, this is what I do for a living as well. And, uh, you know, the purpose driven PMO is all about providing empowering resources to deliver results and provide value to the organization. So I think all three of us, uh, should hit the pub sometime and, and, and let's do it at Andy's location in Honduras. 
uh, and continue the discussion. Unfortunately, for show purposes, we, we're running out of time. Uh, oh, so, no. yeah, <laughs> I, I want to give each of you guys an opportunity to let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you or if you have anything coming up, any books, speaking engagements, any webinars, anything where they can reach out to you, uh, learn more about what you can do and how you can help them uh, as they try to grow their PMOs. And Andy, we'll start with you. Sure. So my company is Rafenzian Consulting, which no one's going to be able to spell. But if you type Andy Jordan Project or Andy Jordan Roth of something or other into Google, <laughs> it'll find me. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Rafenzian PM. You can find me on LinkedIn um, very easily. And, and Google certainly will, will find me at the top of the list if you type Andy Jordan Project in. You'll find a lot of my content on a regular basis on projectmanagement.com, which is now part of the PMI family. I have somewhere around 10 to 12 articles a month there on a multitude to different topics. I have two courses right now on lynda.com, which is also the same as uh, LinkedIn Learning. Uh, One is Portfolio Management Fundamentals, which ties into what we're talking about. The other one, which has just gone live last month, I'm really excited about, is about business-focused PMOs, so couldn't be more appropriate. I do a whole bunch of webinars. Uh, I do a whole bunch of of different sort of work for different corporate clients, but uh, check out my uh, my LinkedIn and Twitter stuff, and you'll find out all about that, um, as well as through projectmanagement.com. Awesome. And again, thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Really appreciate it. Uh, Always great to have somebody with your experience join the show and our listeners certainly can benefit from all of your experience and knowledge as well. And uh, Ray, how can everybody get in touch with you, learn more about what you have going on and uh, ways that they can interact with you? Yes, sir. So um, I'm an occasional author for CU Times, that's Credit Union Times. Um, I also write for Defense and Tech. Um, I, my, I, I'm really engaged and interested in uh, applying data for better decision-making. Uh, and that's what you'll find a lot of my defense writing on. Um, I'm speaking at uh, future branches in Austin in November. And uh, if you're in the credit union space and you're interested in improving how you can, uh, your delivery excellence, please do reach out to me. Uh, and uh, you can find me easy, easily enough uh, on LinkedIn. And yes, I'm aware my last name is misspelled, but if you'll indulge me, it's R-A-G-A-N. And then, of course, if you're interested in uh, VPMMA, uh, as Joe said earlier, please navigate to thevpmma.org, and we would love to get you on as a mentor or protege. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Ray, for everything you do to support our profession and uh, and our organization. So I really appreciate that. And, of course, for you taking time to join the show today. I want to remind everybody about the inaugural Project Managers Golf Tournament coming up September 27th with the PMI Phoenix chapter here in partnership with VPMMA and U.S. Vets. Uh, There are still some limited availability remaining for that if you go out to Phoenix uh, PMI chapters website. That's phx-pmi.org. You can get registered. Again, it's going to be foursomes with two civilians paired with two military members, uh, scramble format. And at the end of the tournament, Eric Wright and I will be speaking and we would love to share the VPMA story with you. So if you are an organization, perhaps interested in sponsoring that event, Uh, please reach out to me or the PMI chapter here in Phoenix and we can get that taken care of for you. Also, of course, thank you to our listeners. Without you, we don't have a show. So I really appreciate everybody tuning in for what we do two times a month. The show has really blessed me with the opportunity to come out here and make a difference within our industry. So I'm extremely grateful and thankful to all of you. Our next show will be Thursday, September 19th with Charity Carr, And we're going to bring back Colin Ellis Uh, for our regular listeners. We lost him, unfortunately, from Australia as our Internet went down on the last show. So we're bringing Colin back. Uh, And with Colin being from Australia, the time of the show is going to be at 3 p.m. Phoenix time as opposed to our standard 11 o'clock Phoenix time. We also have a great lineup of guests upcoming. Uh, Barbara Troutline, Rich Maltzman, Jim Stewart, Laura Burford, Carol Osterweil. Uh, so many more coming up, and we even uh, just booked our uh, Lindsay Scott, our first 2020 guest, is booked into February of next year. So if you're a fan of the Flash Mob in the UK, 
uh, you'll be able to check out that conversation we had with Lindsay. And Andy, she told me to tell you she says hello. <laughs> Thank uh, you. You'll need subtitles for that one. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, a reminder that while we are live, we do record these shows and we do release them as a podcast. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours. Leave a review and a rating. We always appreciate those. And, of course, you can pick that up on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, etc. Thank you, of course, to our sponsor, the PMO Squad, home of the Purpose Driven PMO and all project management services. So please check them out. And that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. (laughs) 